0: You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Bo's No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Boltevich.
1: and good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose nose show and sorry for the slight delay there some technical difficulties on a couple ends uh had a few router problems and a few other things going on um and it's just one of those things that happens sometimes that we uh you know all at once and i understand facebook's down today nationwide and uh, it's really, uh, you know, tough when when nothing seems to be working right. In fact, uh, if Facebook were up, you'd see that I am still in a suit and tie because I came straight from a commissioner's meeting back to the house, and I didn't get back here till you know about ten minutes till the hour. By the time I got my laptop out hooked up and everything else, it was only a couple minutes before the hour, and I didn't even know that Robin was having problems on her end technically. So, excuse the lateness, and also excuse the fact that I have not been organized for this show. So, I have no idea what we're going to talk about today on the Bo's Nose Show, but we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and you can get in on the conversation, and we can go in the direction you want to go in just by calling us at six four six. 721-9887. And just press 1 because that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation and not just calling to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Well, it's been a crazy week so far for me. I feel like I've done nothing but participate in meetings. So Monday is the second Monday of the month. Uh, that just get, went by, and that was basically the um, day that the Association of Oregon Counties, I can't refer to them as AOC anymore because everybody thinks of that congressman from the Bronx when you say that now. Um, it's the Association of Oregon Counties, has their monthly legislative committee day. And, of course, when the legislation's in session, that's a really jam-packed day. And it started at 7 o'clock in the morning for me uh, with a uh, federal lands subcommittee of the public lands committee of uh, the Association of Oregon Counties, which went on to 8 o'clock for the governance committee uh, meeting, and then to 10 o'clock to the uh, public safety committee meeting, which is the uh, meeting that I am actually the co-chair of, and then about 1230 starts the actual legislative committee meeting where the subcommittees all report out to what their recommendation is for bills uh, that they want to take stances on. And we then go through voting on all that. And then we go into a board meeting after that, um, which I'm also on the board of the Association of Oregon Counties. So I basically spent the entire day Monday in meetings which I was participating in by phone because my wife's out of town and I needed to take care of dogs and all that here in Elmira. So instead of driving to Salem, like I usually do for these meetings, I was, I was on the phone for all of them. So I felt like I was tied to a phone the entire day, Monday. And then Tuesday was our regular board meeting and including some executive sessions, which took all day again, which, you know, I said something about, you know, the, the efficiency of our meetings this year since we had a changeover in leadership, and uh, today was a continuation of those meetings, and I got here just in time to do the bows Nose show, uh, still in the suit and tie as I'm loosening my tie right now um, and getting ready to do this show. So I haven't had a whole lot of preparation to do the show, um, but we, you yeah, know, we are you know, moving ahead with the show, because I promised to do this show every Wednesday, so folks would have an opportunity to call in and get a hold of me again. That number is 646 721 9887. And uh, so you can get a hold of me here and have a conversation about any topic you want to have a conversation about. But I'm going to talk a little bit about all these bills in the legislature. And the Association of Oregon Counties, each one of these committees tries to review the bills that kind of apply to their area. Um, like my public safety committee takes a look at bills that might be changing uh, criminal penalties or laws around that, or just things that might affect uh, the ability to run a police force. Uh, You know, so maybe some changes in labor laws might get thrown in there. Look at different things. Governance committee covers all sorts of things. And um, really it can be quite the, broad spectrum when you talk about governance everything from uh, public meetings laws to we kind of because there's no catch-all for some of this stuff we even get involved in some of the rules around marijuana regulation so it's really uh, we cover a lot of stuff all comes to the legislative committee all the you know I can't be in every committee because some of them meet at the same time uh, natural resources meets at the same time as governance. Health and human services meets at the same time as public safety. So I, some of that stuff I don't hear about till we get actually in the legislative committee, of which I'm a voting member of. And we have actually taken stances on a 113 different bills this session, either support or oppose or support with amendments. Uh, Oppose unless amended, or even uh, sometimes we'll take a neutral stance so we can just keep monitoring. If we take no stance at all, that's no stance. But you know, those 113 bills we've taken a stance on only represent the ones we've chosen to take a stance on. We've actually probably reviewed five or six hundred different bills out of the five thousand that are floating around the legislature. It seems like because those are the ones that have, you know, meaning to counties. Uh, you know, so there's a bunch of bills we haven't even looked at or taken a stance on yet because they may not pertain to counties. Like, I don't think we care if if they uh, decide to declare a new state mineral or something like that. We wouldn't look at that bill. But there's some pretty interesting stuff in the legislature this year, and um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to pick a few out because we also had a legislative uh, update and legislative committee report to the board yesterday, and kind of got into a little bit of a tussle um, at the board, and eventually managed to um, resolve our differences and vote five uh, zero to support the uh, suite of bills that we were taking positions on from the county's from Lane County's perspective. Um, and managed to at least have those match up with a lot of the, so the association stances. Um, but there's some pretty interesting bills out there. And uh, w- we can get into a few of those here because they're, they're really, um, some of them are very esoteric, you know, where, where they get into um, messing around with the collective bargaining law, you know, where we took a you know some opposed positions and some of them are, are um, pretty straightforward, you know, and and uh, we took you know support physicians and all that. So there's just an enormous amount of legislation going through right now, and, and it's really um, it's daunting. And at this point, nothing is dead. There's been no deadlines that allow a bill to be killed. Uh, eventually, there'll be a deadline towards the end of the month here, where if they haven't had a public hearing or been referred to a certain um, couple of committees, they will be officially dead. But at this point, we have to keep our eyes on everything. because every, and, and, and what happens a lot of times is bills that don't get a hearing get referred to rules or um, ways and means which allows them to stay alive because um, there are a couple committees that if their bills referred to them, they don't have to have a hearing by the hearing date. And there'll be a couple of these deadlines as they move through, because th- then there'll be deadlines where they have to have had action, one house or the other, and get, get referred to the other house. So it, it'll be after some time, we won't have to watch all 5,000, but we're still watching them. You know, um, you you. You know it's just one of those things where you gotta um pay attention at all times you know it it's uh you know always uh nobody's safe while the legislature's in session, <laughs> and whether that means it's the the local governments which affects local taxpayers because if the, if the local governments are going to get an unfunded mandate you, you know you know who's paying for that unfunded mandate or whether it's you know the citizens directly um, or businesses it just seems like nobody's safe and and it seems like they keep proposing stuff that's going to make things tougher and tougher and one of them the things that probably was argued about quite a bit in the legislative um, committee at at the Association of Oregon Counties was this concept of um, developing this system for uh, paid family leave, and they're they're trying to set up a system that's more like an insurance system where uh, employers get assessed based on the number of employees, and then the employees can access this benefit, you know, through a claim. and and that sort of method where it's not the actual, it's not forcing the employers to pay paid family leave, but it's forcing employers with 10 or more employees to participate in this system, which is just going to add a cost and, um, another uncontrollable factor in controlling, um, employee absenteeism. And, and so it, it's just building on this, this, you know, between mandatory increases in minimum wage, um, the sick leave mandatory sick leave laws. Now we're gonna add this this paid family leave uh insurance system, quote unquote, um, that's gonna, you know, make it easier for employees to take time off for various reasons. And it's just one more thing make it harder to do business in Oregon. And I kinda of wonder when we're gonna hit the tipping point. I mean, we've been lucky so far that the national economy is going such great gangbusters that, you know, all these changes really haven't had too much of an impact on Oregon. But we keep building on it. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, Multnomah County already has a policy for their employees to pay, pay family leave like this. Um, so they're all for it because it's going to make the whole state kind of pick up their program. And and they're arguing in in legislative committee that we ought to be supporting this. And, of course, the rest of the counties are kind of like, whoa, you know, this is going to, one, it's going to cost our government's money. And, two, we're not so sure this is going to be helpful to our businesses, particularly rural counties that are already struggling with economic development. And, you know, one of the major roles that counties play is we are the economic development agency, really, for the county. We're the ones that get the video lottery money. And that's that's, uh, directly targeted for economic development. So, you know, supporting something that's going to impact economic development is kind of a tough thing. Um, But that was, you know, one of the things we went back and forth. And I think we eventually took an opposed position against that that bill. Um, But, you know, that's part of what's going on up in the legislature is they're ready to do that. And when you really think about it, you know I've been an employer, I've also been a manager for employers and supervised employees. There's always that guy that that seems to call in sick or be out a half day sick all the time and come in late and is, and always is barely carrying any balance in their in their um, leave and their paid time off or sick leave, whatever you want to call it um. And they use their vacation days the same way constantly. They never really have a a balance of leave. And then there's the good employees that understand that that's an insurance policy, that they, they tend not to call in sick or use that time up. And they're developing a pretty good backlog. And they might even have, you know, six weeks of sick or paid time off in the bank because they know at any moment they could have to use that. Well, this system of quote family you know, paid family leave um, will reward those undisciplined employees that you can't count on scheduling-wise um, for when they suddenly have need for an extended period of time off. Sometimes it's a fairly planned need too. You know, you're pretty sure when you and your wife decide you're going to get pregnant and have have a child that in nine months you're going to need a significant amount of time off and you better start banking leave but it seems like there's some people that just are unable to plan for that (laughs) and now suddenly they're going to make that an emergency with an insurance policy to cover it that all the rest of the employees are you know basically paying for in lower wages um in some ways that they're going to be rewarding these employees that can't seem to bank leave. So, you know, it just systemically, it's an unfair way of, of setting up a benefit. You know, the, most employers offer some, you know, in fact, it's been mandated now to offer some kind of sick leave. People need to learn to bank that and, and to, to save that up. <laughs> it's what, we all used to do <laughs> so yeah, you know, just one bill floating around up there in the legislature so um you know you if you wonder i'm trying to remember what the uh the bill number is for that one it's uh oh gosh i'm trying to look up the number but i can't i can't find it right away but i believe it's a house bill so Just that that's just one of the bills we talked about last Monday. And then, you know, we we got into a bill um, on Tuesday with the board that was a bill that would make it illegal for an employer to um, deny employment or discipline an employee for utilizing a um, drug that is legal in the state of Oregon. And, of course, it doesn't specifically mention marijuana or cannabis, but the whole point is, is, is you know, right now employers are able to um, say that, you know, if, if you test positive for cannabis, that you can't be employed here, you know, because it's one of those things you don't know if a person's actually impaired or not because people get stored in, in the fat and it takes... 30 days to process out of your system, it's really difficult for an employer to know whether you're impaired or not, which gets to be a liability issue, particularly if you're, you know, using um, dangerous equipment around the public in any way. <laughs> like you're a forklift driver at a Costco. Uh, so, you know, this bill would have been a huge problem um, for uh employers in the way of liability and and risk and the city county insurance um, system that that was developed to help ensure public employers was not happy about that bill Um, and a lot of people testified against it but um, and we were getting ready to take an opposed position but uh, Commissioner Sorensen was uncomfortable with that because you know he kind of feels like people shouldn't be punished for cannabis use in all, um, which I get in some ways, but I don't get in others, um, and it's really difficult for us as um, a recipient of federal grants, where we have to, as part of receiving those federal grant, grants, be a drug-free workplace, which with cannabis still a federally illegal drug, um, we have to say that we don't tolerate that. So... It would put us in a bind um, where we couldn't certify we are federally drug-free workplace and we would lose a lot of federal funding. So, um, But we ultimately decided just to take a monitor position rather than have a split vote of the board because um, it was heavily opposed anyway and it's pretty sure that it won't be going forward. Um, but that was a bill that was out of the Senate Judiciary Committee most likely backed by our local Senator Floyd Prozansky. And um, it's not a bad thing not to take a position on that bill um, in some ways, because there was enough people opposing it that we didn't need to pile on and, and be doing something uh, that would necessarily might earn some animus from one of our local senators. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting piece of, you know, we have to think sometimes about what we take stances on um, and whether they really have an impact on the county. That would have had a direct impact on the county because it would have put us in the conflict between our federal grants and their requirements under their laws and then the new state law if, it, if this, this, this bill passes that says we can't utilize anything that's legal in the state, cannabis is legal in the state, um, for employment conditions. Um, So it would have put us in an interesting spot. So, you know, just a few things. You know, two bills happening up there in the legislature, folks may not be aware of, probably not being talked about very publicly. Uh, One of them's got legs that uh, family lead bills definitely got a lot of interest uh, at the legislature and could very well pass. Um, this current super majorities, uh, the uh, bill about marijuana, yeah, may not get too far. I think that's just got too many problems for too many people. Um, the the you know that that comes into conflict with federal law and until the federal law really gets changed. That's going to maybe not get so far. But uh, haven't heard about either of those in the headlines. Probably have you <laughs> and. There's 111 more to go. So you can imagine that, you know, my, when the legislature's in session, it triples my workload basically because, you know, trying to pay attention to what they're doing and trying to, you know, 90% of what I do when it comes to legislature is defense, probably more like 99% because it's like, please don't do that to us. Please don't pass that bill. <laughs> yeah. Or please pass this bill so you can fix something you did last time. <laughs> and that's yeah, it's just uh, it's tough. And, and you also just don't want to get your eye off the ball either, because really our number one priority in the legislature this time is we really need the legislature to approve the bonding authority for the the the. the remaining $87.6 million of the $94 million uh, the state wants to put in for our new courthouse. Which gets me back around to the courthouse, which we talked about before on the Bo's No Show. But before I switch subjects from legislation to the courthouse, I want to give you an opportunity to switch the conversation to whatever you want to talk about, 646-721-9887. And that gets you into the Bo's No Show. Then you have to press one because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one. So speaking of the courthouse, and that was speaking. <laughs> speaking of the courthouse, um, you know, we're we're – Moving ahead, and there was a little editorial in the paper last week that, from a, a retired attorney who whose practice didn't have him in the courthouse very regularly and uh, is now just doing some volunteer work. Um, kind of concerned that the courthouse is going to be too big or something. And I just want to address that a little bit in that when we started down this road, And we started down this road after we did a facilities assessment of the existing courthouse to try and determine, could we rescue that facility? You know, was there a way of renovating it, expanding it, um, and continuing to use that building? And basically, that study came down to there's really no way to keep the courts in that building. In fact, if we tried to, we need to move them somewhere else temporarily for a couple years and strip that building down to its bones, basically, to fix the structural defects that that make it seismically unsound in a Cascadia subduction zone event um, that is possible in this area. And um, that that's part of the problem. You know, there's that huge cost of trying to find a temporary facility for a court system that processes 33,000 cases a year. But we we started there and said could we could we use the existing building once we determined we couldn't then we were like okay we're going to need a new facility who should be in that building for efficiency purposes and then how much space do we need for a you know a modern court so we hired the National Center for state courts which is a, a national center at Set up to to you know that provide that sort of service across the nation, where they've done for years have been looking at courts and and what their needs are, and with that national expertise and years and years of experience analyzed our caseload and our past caseloads, projected out into the future our caseloads based on our population growth and changes in the legal system that have been working our way way through. Um, you know, because things have changed over the years. A lot of cases are being settled by mediation rather than going to a full trial at times. So that that changes the needs for court facilities somewhat. But with all that looked through and also looking at our particular system, as it applies, in in Oregon system, and who should be in the courthouse um, from you know the DA and the sheriff, because there's a need for court security and movement of inmates, and parole and probation as people get um, sentenced to you know to to probation. There needs to be some connection there. Public defenders, you know, victim services law library services, who should be in that building? And they did a study, found out, you know, which agencies should be there. And then they looked at, you know, how many courtrooms we might need in the future and uh, what kind of courtrooms we might need in the future. And that basically that study determined the need for up to 18 courtrooms to give us at least 60 years of serviceable life for that building. And the reason they didn't go beyond 60 is kind of as you as you start doing the projections, the the error, you know, plus or minus error starts getting wider and wider the further the years go out. And you get to a point where the error starts getting to be too big. And that's why they stopped at 60. But they believe that should take us, you know, the building life is going to be well beyond that. It's going to be a hundred years or more. They believe uh, that that, that projection, she'd probably take us pretty close to 100 years lifespan for a new courthouse based on the space. But that was a very scientific study of our needs and our space needs. So that's what determined the size of the courthouse. And it's not about having 12-person jury boxes in every courtroom, because that courtroom design uh, of those 18 courtrooms is a flex courtroom. It's designed to be able to have furniture moved around, and some courts can be set up for a 12-person jury. Some courts can be set up with multiple tables to mediate disputes with multiple parties involved and have enough room for interpreters or uh, folks that don't speak English and or, or might need um, sign language interpreters. All that stuff is, is built into this thought process of the future courthouse so it's kind of interesting that you know an attorney that has been retired for nearly 10 years and um, whose general practice didn't take him into the courts every day um, is the one that kind of wrote this opinion piece into the guard um, saying we really didn't need um, 18 12 person courtrooms when that's really not what we're getting (laughs) And we're getting this this, um, flexible, 18 flexible space courtrooms um, that allow us to provide what we need. And he also tried to do a little bit of math about the number of trials going on at once, which was not a very good job of mathematics uh, because I I know there's been times where we've had four 12-person jury trials going on at the same time. And we've had cases that take more than a month to try some of the capital cases when you think about um, a murder case can take a long time to complete and almost every case uh, quite often um, that's going to trial may get right up to the very minute they're going to walk into the courtroom and start trial when the defendant may choose to settle or agree to a plea deal depending on whether it's a civil case or a criminal case and you still need to schedule that courtroom that has the adequate size for that case um, that day. And, and there's quite often procedures where a judge needs to convene in a courtroom to do a specific action um, during the day and having the ability to, to find a courtroom and all that is, is can very much delay the process in a case. Um, so there's, all sorts of you know difficulties in trying to do the math that he did in that, that guest editorial. But there's been a, a, a very scientific study process to get to how big should that courthouse be? Who should ultimately live in that courthouse facility? I should call it a justice facility because really it's more than the courts that'll be there. Um, and you know, what's needed in that facility for, um, good security, access to people, all mobility capabilities and, and, uh, and, you know, no matter, you know, what their uh, limitations are um, and really, you know, uh, you know, what that all takes. And then we went beyond that and we went to um, what they call a, a, um, a blocking study, you know, where they tried to look at, you know, what, what, that building looks like um, volume wise on on the actual site so they could get enough information to do an accurate cost estimate of the construction where you'd know how many square feet of roof area was going to be there, how many square feet of glazed or window area versus other uh, external treatments. Is there going to be under you know how big the underground parking area is going to be, um, you know various issues like that that drive a cost estimate, so we could get an accurate estimate of the construction costs, and and really understand that. So, um, and then get the total project cost from from what we have already invested in purchasing the land, and doing you know the cost we spent doing some of the study work and everything all the way through purchasing furniture, and moving in the building, and when we talk about that. That that big number that you hear, that $252 million, that's everything from land to furniture and in between. Permits, engineering costs, um, it even includes uh, the fact that we know we're not going to start construction for a while because we are got to go through a design process, and we've, we've taken our cost estimate that we did last year and inflated it to the... Um, basically the 2020 cost when the actual construction is going to be going on. So it's got two years of of inflation built into it. So um, that's getting really into the weeds, but just know that the the intention was we wanted to make sure we don't come back and say, oh, we forgot to include this. The number really wasn't that, it's this now. Um, I think some other local governments have made that mistake in the past, and what we wanted to do is be able to come to the public and say, this is the not to exceed number. And, and we've built in um, contingency in that, that number. So even if something, you know, we start digging and, and find some conditions that aren't, you know, we didn't expect or get in, into the construction and something hap- you know, changes, um, a, you know, change order from a contractor or something like that, we've kind of even built some of that into that, that, that large number. So that's the complete project from land to the furniture and moving in. So that's really you know uh, we want to be able to, to to not come back and go oh yeah we didn't include buying furniture you know we, yeah, we built courtrooms but we didn't put benches in them <laughs> you know <laughs> that's that's you yeah, know that's not what we wanted to do we wanted to make sure we were honest with the public and gave you the whole number. We've got that court sized for what it should be for a long-lasting facility for the next 100 years uh, in Lane County. And uh, really, that's, you know, where we are with that project. And it's official. It's got a ballot number now. It is Lane County Measure 20-299. It's 2299. So it kind of sound like Walmart there with that 2.99 at the end of it, <laughs> but that's the measure uh, for the the Lane County Courthouse where we're asking for a 20-year uh, bond from the the voters that it will cost approximately 27 cents per thousand of assessed value, approximately 50 dollars a year for um, the average homeowner, I think it's, it works out to about $4 a month or something like that. That, um, So a little mo- bit more than $4 a month. So that's really um, what that measure is asking for. Um, and it gets us a court facility as we're getting some participation from Louie again. It gets us a court facility that's going to last us in the next 100 years. And it's important. Because um, really, it's going to make our justice system more efficient, which is going to help us with the operational costs of, of the courts, including the cost for the sheriff to move inmates around, which if that, you know, that efficiency will, will help um, us preventing future cuts in services in the sheriff's department. It will help with the DA's office and efficiencies. It will help the court system and their efficiencies. It'll you know, all around it's about trying to make the system more efficient and will actually benefit in, in operational savings. Um, Louis, <laughs> Louis agrees. He likes the fact that we're going to actually make the system more efficient um and and save money in that end as we expend some money on the capital end. Not to mention will end up with the sheriff's office and their emergency operations center in a building that will survive and be habitable after an earthquake, which is really an important thing. Because right now the plan is uh, if the earthquake happens, the emergency operations center is going to move to a command trailer that they keep out at our Delta Public Works uh, complex out there on North Delta Highway. And they're going to try and um, manage the emergency response to the con- Cascadia subduction zone earthquake from a trailer. <laughs> Think it'd be nicer to be in, in a full, fully functional emergency operations center, um, if, if that's the case. Because uh, you know we all know from our practice run of the Great Snowpocalypse of February uh, 25th there. I guess, or 24th, this started on the 24th, maybe it lasted through the 26th, but that, that, that nopocalypse a couple of weeks ago, that was just a dry run for a small part of the county and a small part of the impact of what a Cascadia subduction zone earthquake can do. And uh, that had our emergency operations center uh, running and is still running uh, to this day, uh, trying to... to work on the recovery side of things as we're still um you know newspaper today had a big article about the cleanup work that's having to go on in the ridgeline trail and across mount pisgah trying to recover some of our parts um, from the the number of trees that fell across trails and dangerous trees that they're having to deal with to make our parks safe again um you know hopefully prior to the summer Peak season, uh, but it's going to be it's going to be questionable, you know, whether all these parks get made safe again. So it, it it's uh, the impacts keep happening, and in fact, I want to remind folks that if you had damage to your home or business, Louis, <laughs> if you had damage to your home or business. The county uh, is collecting information on the um, those damages and co- your estimated cost of those damages, trying to see if we can rise to the level of um, getting FEMA um, uh, help on on those private side of things. Because usually what? there's a really high bar to get um, help for. Um, <laughs> private homes and businesses from the federal government because they really don't like to step in there unless it's, you know, a hurricane Katrina style event. So it's a pretty big, big bar, but we're looking to see if we can meet that with other counties, like Douglas County was hit very hard by the same storm um, and see if we can rise the level, but it's going to take gathering enough info. So if you had damages, there is, if you go to Lane County's uh, website on the uh, you know down where uh, the news portion there, there's a there's a um, news release that's out right now which I actually put on my Facebook page Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner there's a link there too to go to um, the news release and then ultimately to a link where you can report damage um, to your home even if you've already repaired it um, you could report that damage, and that may get us up to that, um, up above that bar that FEMA sets to get private businesses and private residences get some eligibility mm. for uh, relief from the federal government. It's not; it, the bar is a little bit lower for uh, public agency relief um, in, in how much we need to show uh, damage to public facilities, but. We only get a 75% reimbursement from FEMA on that that help uh, once there's been an emergency declaration um, by the governor of an area where if we get over a certain amount of damage to public facilities, we get some reimbursement from FEMA. And that deadline for that was was last night for public utilities and public agencies like um City of Eugene's Public Works or Springfield School District, and they're, um, they're, uh, they lost, you know, a, a gymnasium in the snowstorm. <laughs> uh, so all those, those damages get put together, and, you know, we meet certain thresholds, and we give them their first initial estimate so they can start the paperwork towards reimbursement. But uh, we'll be involved in that accounting for this uh, snowstorm for years, it took approximately 10 years to finish the books and, and reimbursements and all the accounting for the Northridge earthquakes. Uh, if folks remember that uh, back in, was that the late 90s, the Northridge earthquake? Um, but it took a long time for them to close the books on that that particular event and all the reimbursements. So. We'll be in the accounting portion of Snowpocalypse 2019 for a long time. And that just gets me to, you want to talk about, um, you know, really getting, you know, stepping right into the fire from the, you know, as you walk into a a job, we hired a new uh, emergency operations manager on, and her first day, was February 17th (laughs) so she basically went through orientation kind of figured out you know where her desk was and all that and then we had snowpocalypse and she was in the middle of of being the incident commander for a incredible um, emergency event here in Lane County and patients uh, rose to the occasion everything I've heard about Her uh, abilities in this emergency and how she handled it and the work she did with other agencies, particularly in getting um, state help and and outside help for Lane County clear just stellar. And I just want to say, you know, Last week I talked about how proud I was of the citizens of Lane County because they all helped their neighbors. Neighbors helped neighbors, which was really important in emergency response because you're not always going to be able to get help from the county or get help from the state. Um, but I want to take a moment just to appreciate all of the public workers and the utility workers' job they did in recovering from that snowstorm. And it still goes on. Because, you know, they may have gotten the power back up, but there's still an incredible amount of debris to clean up. There's still a lot of unsafe trees threatening power lines that haven't been cleared yet. They just got the ones cleared enough to put the power lines back up. <laughs> now they got to go back and relook and go, oh, see that one leaning on that other tree against a branch that, you know, if the wind blows a little too hard, it's going to crash over the power line? Yeah, we need to take that one down. That work's still to go. Um, so they're still out there working uh, hard. But I think at least they're past the 30-hour shifts and um, multiple days in a row um, with no no weekends, et cetera. I think they're getting back to a little bit more normal. But uh, incredible work from you know everybody from public works to um, you know, folks in our finance department—they're having to handle some of the, uh, the like I talked about, the financial end of this will go on for for years. Uh, to the folks in the sheriff's departments, to the you know the folks in, in the fire and EMS, to uh, you name it. There's been an incredible effort. You know, and and hats off to the linemen. Hats off to the tree service people that we've contracted with. Uh, You know, sometimes people don't realize, you know, the folks that are out there helping you get your power back on, they might have their family in a hotel because a tree crashed through their living room. And in fact, you know, that was the case with our emergency manager. She was in there managing this emergency and this incident, yet her family had had sustained personal damage to their residents from a fallen tree and had had their own issues of, of no power, damaged roof, all that stuff. Yet, you know, she still managed to come to work, you know, and that, that's, that's, you know, that incredible story. And, and I wish I knew them all, but you know, there's story after story like that of these workers, you know, showing up while their families are still struggling the impacts of the storm you know and and that's you know really um part of the story of this is just the sacrifice of those those folks being able to get out there and get to work knowing how difficult a time their family was having you know that that pull between do i report to work or do i go home and take care of things you know, can and and part of that is we as responding agencies need to help our employees have their homes prepared, and it's one of the things we do is we stress personal preparedness for our employees because that's going to be the issue. You know, is is the ability of the employees to make that decision that you know what we've got emergency supplies, we have a plan, we have a secondary place to go, Um, you know, know, we've talked about this in advance, what will happen in in an emergency, you know, if I need to be reporting to work and there's no power at the house or the house has been damaged, what's our alternatives? So, we've got a plan to execute and that way they know they can go to work and start helping recover from that emergency because they know their family has a plan. And that's such an important piece for us as as responders as a public agency to make sure of. And it's something if you're an employer and you want to have continuity in an emergency, you might want to talk to your employees about what's their personal preparations at home and how prepared are they for that emergency? Do they have a plan? And have they talked to their family about it? You know, and how critical are your staff that you're going to be able to, you know, live without them? I mean, there's folks down in Douglas County that are just getting their power back, and you know, here it is, and the storm. They lost their power on February 24th. Um, You know, that's a long time maybe to have an employee out. You know, and if if it's a critical function employee like the folk, the person that does your payroll so the rest of your employees will show up. <laughs> you just might want to, you know, make sure that person is coming in there. So we're almost out of time on the Bo's Nose Show, but we're not so far down on the show. We still have about five or six minutes left that we couldn't take a call at 646-721-9887 to talk about what you want to talk about, whether it's the state legislature, the courthouse, the snowpocalypse and emergency planning. Again, six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven, and just press one. Let's Robin know you want to get in on the call, get in on the program here. And uh, Robin, I saw you uh, switch over to your mic. There, is there something you wanted to get in before the show's over?
0: Yeah, I got a. a hopefully, I'm coming through the way we have things uh, set up. You um, mind coming through because I can't hear on the monitor. Yeah, yeah, you're you're doing great. Okay, um, Well, two quick items, and of course, the first one is only Oregon, uh, because yeah. there are two measures that are being introduced in the 2019 legislative session. One, of course, they're still battling over what the, de- the state dog will be, and the border co- border collie is the nominee. And the second one wow. is going to be the official state grass. No, know it's not marijuana. It, it's wild, wild, <laughs> but it should be marijuana. But yeah, that that's kind of what they're talking about. And actually, I think they've really been looking into the state grass too much, if you ask me. Um, the second item is LTD is added again. Um looking at improving, as they put it, five corridors in the River Road, Highway Ninety Nine, Coburg Road, uh Martin Luther King Boulevard, and of course Thirtieth Avenue, and they're taking uh <clears throat> what they call public uh hearings on that, which basically means it's they're just spending time saying hi, I guess. But anyways, so L T D wants to expand some more, so you know, be aware of that.
1: Yeah. And of course there's always the fun down there at the Washington Jefferson Bridge as they close ramps and all that stuff. I got caught up in some of that mess last night trying to get home because I I avoid the Washington Jefferson Bridge, but it turns out everybody else was trying to. <laughs> so yeah. my 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 back my back road shortcut became very crowded last night. As everybody yeah, thanks, else thanks. was doing the same thing I do, I do as a matter of practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, thanks for making uh, it easy. Yeah, but,
1: yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's it been fun downtown when it comes to traffic and all that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They're looking at the state grass. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I guess there is some, you know, we are the grass seed capital of the world. So I could, I guess there's some nexus for doing that but it seems like there's a whole lot bigger problems like who knows how many billion dollar unfunded actuarial liability that PERS is that they keep burying their head in the sand like an ostrich about um it it just it amazes me that they're going to talk about state grass or state dog when they won't talk about the state PERS you know elephant that's already in the room yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like don't look at the elephant let's talk about this picture that's hanging on the wall
0: <laughs> you know they, they say the uh, they praise the border collie uh, for their strong work ethic, ethic and uh, extraordinary ability to herd and control farm livestock which could also include legislatures and of course, the, yeah. the leaders of the Oregon Chief Dog Society um, are, are also challenging that. You know,
1: <laughs> I really think it should be a standard poodle, but that's just personal bias.
0: Yeah, personal bias. I don't know. It's just well, we could have the uh, the retriever or somebody else. <laughs> I'm picturing on the legislative floor them arguing over this. Yeah. Well, I
1: you know, I wonder if I would be allowed to bring into the gallery my you know my my dog to you know witness this this debate because I think they would be
0: interested. Well, yeah, I mean, what better <laughs> I
1: somehow really get this mental picture perfect. of, of uh, you know uh, of putting a show dog ring in, in the rotunda of the Capitol and start you know you know having the the guys announcing the. And, and this is the border collie, you know, and it's it, a breed known for its its incredible herding instincts. And this is a great example of, of the standard for the breed. And here comes the retriever.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to do the <laughs> voice.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I could just see that as, as the legislature is arguing about what our state dog should be instead of dealing with the PERS unfunded liability.
0: Well, they said yep. that it's gone to the dogs, and here they are. Yep,
1: yep, yep. Uh, got to worry about that, or we got to worry about whether we can, you know, actually say that somebody that smokes pot shouldn't be driving a forklift at Costco.
0: Well, that's yeah. about it.
1: For show this week. We'll be back next week with another edition live from the beautiful downtown Elmira. I hope you had a great time. Have a great week.